0: This is the quantum biology podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. In this episode, Kelly Bento shares what optimal dentistry looks like from a quantum biologic perspective from metal implants to mouthwash. Kelly explains why we need to be so careful with our mouths which she describes as the exteriorization of the gut. Kelly has decades of experience as a dental hygienist and has spent many years researching and studying quantum biology with Dr. Jack Cruz, as well as being certified by the Quantum Biology Collective. This is a crucial conversation about the importance of light and frequency to our oral health, which Kelly explains can be a serious predictor of our overall health in the future. Enjoy. Hey, good morning, everybody! Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast. We are doing another uh, live podcast for our membership, so we're going to have lots of great Q and A after we get into it with Kelly Bento, who's going to talk to us about holistic dentistry versus traditional dentistry and why we still have to make another leap towards what should we call it, quantum dentistry? Okay, yes. So, Kelly, welcome. Um, Kelly's been sort of working in the dental field for many years and is a graduate of applied quantum biology certification and is a deep, deep researcher. She's always up to her eyeballs and all kinds of cool papers. <laughs> so follow her on Instagram to see them. She posts them all the time. Um, so Kelly has an extremely unique perspective on this industry um, from many different angles. So Kelly, why don't we start off by just talking about Cause I think most people have just a regular dentist and even, you know, I was seeing a, a practitioner recently, um, physical therapist, we were doing some work and I mentioned a holistic, that I have a holistic dentist and she was like, what is that? <laughs> and I was like, really? So why don't we start there? Like, what is the difference between just a regular dentist that you go in? to your insurance website and there's a list of people in your area and you pick one and you go, what is the difference between those people and a holistic dentist, which you do have to work a little harder to find?
1: So a holistic or a a biological dentist um, is similar to how we tend to leave allopathic medicine and seek out functional medicine. It's essentially the same thing. It is the sort of alternative, um, more holistic approach to dentistry. The The process of sort of uh, the, the actual practice of dentistry on the teeth and things like that are actually the same. So there really isn't that much of a difference from a procedural standpoint of both uh, the practice of dentistry is is very much the same, and most dentists that have come, that have left conventional met uh, dentistry to go into biological, um, essentially are pra- practicing nearly exactly the same dentistry, just uh, with a slightly better approach. Um, typically, biological dentistry doesn't recommend fluoride. Um, They're a bit more conservative, though not that much more conservative regarding x-rays. They also tend to recommend doing uh, CBT cone beam scans as opposed to panoramic x-rays to get a a much more detailed three-dimensional look at a a two-dimensional space, such as the mouth, the airway things like that. So there are tremendous benefits to switching over from a conventional dentist to a biological dentist. But (laughs) having worked in both uh, and having worked for leaders in both of these industries, I take issue with both. I don't think one more so than another is necessarily doing things the way that we in this space would would like to receive treatment and would like uh, to see that, you know, the industry, the direction of the industry go. So um, there's there's some some room for improvement in biological dentistry,
0: <laughs> okay. so let's let's get into it. So when you talk about being in this space, if This is someone's first uh, quantum biology collective podcast. We are talking about a um, quantum biologic uh, approach to human health and understanding um, that human biology has quantum mechanical processes built into our systems. Um, Nobody really acknowledges that uh, except our our small but growing community. Um, So if we were gonna apply that, so applying it to, doctors we have um traditional allopathic doctors and we have functional medicine and our um what we maintain is that we need to then make another leap past functional and in, into quantum and so you're saying dentists need to do the same thing so tell us sort of if if you had a magic wand and could make quantum dentistry happen what would that look like
1: i've tried <laughs> <laughs> I I have tried Uh, and I, and I, as a practicing dental hygienist, seeing patients daily, um, I do my best to practice in a, in a quantum um, way. Essentially, when I was at the biological practice, of course, being quantum and having followed Dr. Jack Cruz for so many years, my number one concern was the light environment. And how can we better that environment to essentially improve the the treatment of the patient? And unfortunately, that entire area just is unknown to biological to to any dentist. So um, what i what I do, how I practice in my operatory, which would be um, to always shut off the overhead lights, always. I never turn them on. Um, In my operatory, I have a big bank of windows. I always have the window open. I also have a filter on my computer screen. And uh, I keep, if I do happen to need any sort of lighting in the room, much like I would do at home, I have a specific bulb in a lamp that I use. So that's the the environment that I provide for my patients. And I did this in both the biological and the conventional office. And the patients just responded so, so beautifully. I mean, every patient all day long comments to me how relaxing it is to be in my operatory And they even sometimes if they're having treatment, dental treatment after they see me, they will often go into the doctor's operatory and ask them to shut off the overhead lights. So, you know, they feel it. We know we feel it and they feel it and they appreciate it. And I believe that it's contributing to overall better treatment for the patient because you know, the, the oral cavity is so important. It's the external representation of the gut. So it's a rather important area. And I've heard Dr. Cruz who has his, you know, got his start in dentistry. Uh, I heard, I've heard him remark that for a very long period of time, up until, you know, fairly recently, he believed, you know, the importance of, of the oral cavity as being like nearly the the number one area to look for an idea into someone's systemic health. Uh, he's now moved on into the much deeper area of of the eye being, you know, the the important area to to have a look, the eye being the external representation of the brain. So these two, you know, places, the eye and the mouth, give us a really, really good insight into what is happening internally and systemically with with our patients and uh, some practitioners are paying attention to that unfortunately most are not Uh, but within the oral cavity enamel which is what makes up our teeth is a neuro ectodermal tissue we we know from Dr. Cruz's work and sharing that with us, how important neuroectoderm is and the influence that light has on those tissues. So, you know, a patient being in my chair, I take that pretty seriously. And uh, my hope is to get more dentists, uh, specifically biological dentists, because they're certainly more open to it. Uh, get more dentists to understand the importance of the light that they are practicing under and providing that treatment and how to alter that and improve that for patient outcome. For example, when I worked at the biological practice, which was an absolutely fantastic state-of-the-art practice, they had the most incredible uh, amalgam removal room with the -the state-of-the-art evacuation system everything and I suggested changing the lighting in that room to optimize removal you know treatment for the patients, and it just it it wasn't understood I mean I don't I don't fault them for not taking my recommendation per se because they they don't understand the importance of it whereas in this space we do and we also know that blue light in isolation from LEDs and such, it excites mercury. So when you have a patient in a treatment room, which is a um, a, a very high end amalgam removal room with, you know, multimillion dollar evacuation system and the overhead lights are on, maybe it's not as great as as you would like to think it is. Wow. It's so amazing
0: that the small details that become so important when you understand health at a quantum level, right? Like, so mm-hmm. we're in there, we're doing the best that we know how to have this mercury removed, which was put in before we had good information on mercury. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, the cutting-edge information is to say that it, even the light environment during that procedure is going to make a difference. Yes, because the light is exciting the mercury, and that is going to potentially have a have an effect on that process of right. the removal. I would imagine for the person practicing as well as the person having a mercury removed.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And and also, I'll show you this. So every dental professional where's these dental loops. So this is these are you know a magnifying loop that we look mm-hmm. through and then we turn on this insanely powerful headlamp. Wow. And this this is what we're using in you know in patients' mouths. So we are blasting their oral cavity with with essentially a car headlight. And we know how damaging car headlights are. So being the practitioner, looking through this very, very high magnification with this intense white blue light, this is creating a disaster for dental professionals practicing this way our eyesight there there's a massive rise in dental professionals struggling with macular degeneration this is why essentially they they say never you know you would never want to look at the sun through a magnifying glass well essentially this is what we're doing only we're we're looking at a, a, a an alien sun which is even worse so Jack Cruz had actually posted a video, this was a a number of years ago, about the increase in dental professionals struggling with macular degeneration. Mm -hmm. And this is the reason. Interestingly enough, and I saw that and I thought, oh my gosh, because when I started wearing dental loops, I did notice rather quickly a decline in my own eyesight, which concerned me. So. These dental loops have this little shield that every single person wearing these loops has the same thing, has this little shield that I just, when I saw that video, I thought, okay, number one, do I need to stop wearing my loops in order to preserve my eyesight and my brain? Or what do I need to do? This is, this is built in. It, you just, flip it oh my gosh (laughs) it's like
0: a blue blocker so an orange light filter right on there
1: right that's crazy it's crazy I was like this could not be more perfect right (laughs) so how wonderful every single dental professional has this on their loops every pair of loops has this built in because when they're curing dental materials, they use a very, very intense, I believe it's a 430 nanometer blue light to cure the materials. Mm-hmm. So in order to do that, they they have you use a shield because they know in dentistry that intense blue light of 430 nanometer is very damaging to your eyesight. So they always want the practitioner to protect their eyes. That's why this little shield Has been built in. So, what I have recommended to all of my friends in the dental profession is is to do this.
0: Right. I would also keep that little shield flipped down all the time, even just when you're using the headlamp, not the super intense one. Just always,
1: always. I always do. Mine is flipped down at all times. It has been for for as long as I figured this out to do this. I would also suggest to anyone listening when you see your dental professional who is probably wearing these loops, just ask them, just say, you know, excuse me, do me a favor, flip down that shield. The light is too intense for my eyes. Nice. That's a great tip,
0: Kelly. So we can notice that that little orange shield, if someone's listening to this, there's like a little headlamp above the goggles. Yep. So that's it. And there's a little yeah, plastic up. orange shield that you can just flip down over top of it. And that is gonna take some of the blue and the glare and the b- brightness out of that light.
1: Right. It it Amazing. essentially helps to balance it. Yeah. Right. It it's it is nearly like like putting a little blue blocker shield over the light. It doesn't Amazing. Get it doesn't I know get that's easier. so crazy
0: <laughs> that it's built in like that.
1: Built yes. in like that. Thankfully, because otherwise I would have I would have figured something out, um yeah, built in like that for everyone. Um, but essentially, it's it's making people aware, making the practitioners aware, as well as making the patient aware to yeah, you know, speak up. and and even if you're in a conventional practice, say something you know ask them to turn off the overhead lights ask them to use the shield and just simply say that the the light intensity causes you a headache that's
0: all yeah and I have I find people are quite receptive to that line of line of reasoning right um yeah and on that topic of the of the magnification lenses um that's a similar story to Dr. Jay Montgomery, who mm-hmm. so if anyone's listening, if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, Dr. J goes deep on the eye clock and had a similar experience working as an ophthalmologist, where he was magnifying bright light into his eyes all day doing um surgeries. Yeah. So it's very it's damaging. really, yeah. And I mean, we're only in the chair once every six months. You guys are in those working with that every day. So right. for for professionals, it's really important to keep that in mind as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about implants um, and I want to talk about red light devices. There's a lot of, a lot of devices on the market right now with, with red and some with blue light meant for your mouth. So sort of talk about the, Potential benefits or downsides of those, and then I'm going to open it up to questions. So, um, if you'd like to jump on, just raise your hand. I'll bring you on to talk to Kelly, or you can put your question in the chat. It's up to you. Okay, so Kelly, implants,
1: implants, um,
0: hot topic. Okay, so tell us who who uh, most frequently gets implants, why, and what you're seeing.
1: So. Interestingly enough, um, implant the the conventional doctor that I worked for for a number of years was probably this country's leading expert and pioneer in implantology. So okay. I had a wonderful education, early education in implantology, and he was the head of implants for Tufts University, who was really sort of blazing the Path for for that um, implants have come into dentistry starting in the 80s. Really ramped up um, into the 90s when they started to refine the process. Essentially, what a what a conventional dentist does as far as an implant is, it's a titanium post that they drill into your jawbone. So drilling metal into your skull is not a good idea. Ever. Right. <laughs> it creates, as we know, um, yeah. creates a a uh, an antenna situation. So. Right. So Kelly, could you just?
0: I'm just mindful that we. This podcast might go out to someone who really has no idea what we're talking about. Okay. So when we're talking about the light, we blue light and artificial lights from a quantum biologic perspective are extremely um, damaging to human biology and cells, especially if you're putting them inside your mouth and other vulnerable areas, your eyeballs, but really anywhere absorbing. And so then let's skip to the antenna comment that you just made so what what do you mean by that, and what is happening from now from the perspective that we understand, which is the quantum biologic perspective of our bodies and our cells continuously interacting with all the frequencies around us? So we're, there, we're then implanting a piece of metal into our into our bone into <laughs> inside our of our head, into our
1: skull into our skull in very close proximity to uh, very fragile tissue the you know you know just above that there's very little bone and skull in the way of between your mouth and your brain in particular your brain stem so drawing you know placing metal into the skull that ultimately has the potential to draw a signal um directed into those very vulnerable areas is it, it's not something I would ever do ever.
0: And what if, what are you saying with people who have done it? Cause this, I think is a fairly common procedure it's for a people who've procedure. lost teeth either through an accident or cause the tooth rotted, or is that, is that when you would have an
1: implant? Right. So implants have become the chosen treatment for replacing teeth because they they essentially are moving away from doing root canals to preserve teeth that for a multitude of reasons are failing. Uh, so implants, they say, um, the, the verbiage that's used in dentistry is they are the most predictable form of restoration. I will tell you, just as they found out that every single root canal root canal ultimately fails, every implant ultimately fails. So, you know, using that as a means of restoring um, it's number one, not not biologically compatible. It is compatible in in the way that that they use a material that they, claim to be biologically compatible, um, but placing metal in the skull is is not a smart biological move. Okay. So when you say they fail,
0: what does that look like? What does that mean? And are, I think you mentioned that the statistic, I think I saw on one of your Instagram posts, the statistics on this are pretty grim. Pretty alarming. Even though my sort of, ca- as a casual person who doesn't know much about this, my perception of implants is that like, oh, it's great if your teeth get knocked out because you fell off the bike, like you've got the solution and it's all fine. Not right. all fine. <laughs> it not it not okay. at all. And so are they falling out? Are people getting sick? Like what's happening?
1: Every, all of it. All okay. of it. So implants are failing. Um, every implant will ultimately fail at some point or another. Okay. Some are failing very quickly. There are many implants that are placed that fail immediately. They... Definitely are pushing autoimmune conditions. So, right. you know, word is getting out that the FDA has actually suppressed a, a a lot of information regarding two areas: dental implants and breast implants. So, there, breast implant illness is is making a lot of headway and in, in getting a lot of. Um, talking. Dental implants are not. No one is talking about how dental implants are failing. I went into one study about the failure of implants, which was so ridiculous to me because this study was conducted by sending dentists a survey for them to fill out talking about whether or not the implant failed, when it failed, and why it failed. And so when I then went into the research to find out what exactly is happening with these implants, there are a multitude of reasons to not place an implant in a, in a patient. A multitude of, of contributing factors of failure, which literally every single one of us would fall into one category. (laughs) Right. So, you know, most implants, uh, they say that um, implants placed in any patient over the age of 60 has a much higher percentage of failure. Well, most people that are losing teeth are elderly patients. So, you know, there's one part of it also. And
0: I would imagine if the post is meant to be in your bone and you've been blue light toxic and you've got osteoporosis and your bone, like, right. I mean, even aside from the antenna effect, could your bone even really fold it in if you've got all those other issues?
1: Well, they have an answer for that. They do osseous integration surgery. Okay. Where they place cadaver bone into the jaw and hope for the best. <laughs>
0: So they implant a non-osteo, um, okay, a healthy bone. So right. So they take from a dead person yeah. into your mouth, and then they put the post in there. Right. Would that in any way diminish the the effects of it as a transmitter of frequency, or is it still going to be the same? It just goes through the old bone into the new bone. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, all right. So that's, that's their answer. That's their okay. answer. So so you know you 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 have breakdown of bone, you have uh, periodontal disease, which is the which is the reason why you have potentially lost a tooth, and their answer to it is, well, let's do bone integration let's let's not address the reason for. All of that cascade of events happening. Let's just add in. Let's do this bone integration surgery. Hope for the best. Drill a metal, a uh, titanium post into it, uh, and watch and see. Okay. And what you're saying is
0: what what tends to happen is that they they fall out and people
1: they they fail. Um, It can be, I saw statistics saying that implants will last 30 to 50 years. And then I looked a little deeper and said what it was more like, well, maybe 10. And then there's, there are more factors saying, well, it depends on where the implant is placed. Um, anterior maxilla Uh, So, upper front teeth tend to fail more frequently than any other. Well, most people, if you lose a a front tooth, getting an implant is really your your preferred treatment to restore that tooth. So, you know, there's that. um, Diabetes is a massive contributor to implant failure. And we know how many people are walking around diabetic and and pre-diabetic, yeah. Your vitamin D status is a, is a massive predictor of uh, keeping your own natural teeth. Number one, um, I see that all the time. Low vitamin D is a is a massive cause of losing natural teeth. But also, you know, taking that into account with patients that have lost a tooth, lost a natural tooth, and then they they want to place an implant into someone that you know may potentially have a vitamin D status of 10. Right. It's a really bad idea.
0: So knowing what we know from this perspective, there are a multitude of indicators that would say this is not a good candidate for this operation. Right. Like, right. Um, and, but and those are largely ignored and in, in favor of just moving ahead or doing a workaround or getting that getting that implant in the to the person.
1: Right. Right now, today, globally, implant placement in dentistry is nearly a $7 billion a year industry. Wow. By 2030, that is expected to be well over $10 billion a year. So the average dentist looking at uh, extracting a tooth from a patient, placing an implant, and then a crown has to go on that implant, you're looking at a minimum of a three to $5,000 treatment plan, typically closer to the 5,000 than, you know, adding in bone integration surgeries. Mm -hmm. That is another um, treatment plan. So, and then in, in biological dentistry, which they say, well, they have the answer to the titanium post. So they're going to, they're so much better and so much smarter. They're, they use titanium posts, which they tell patients are, are non-metal. It's a much safer way to do implants. Well, the research shows that t- that zirconia, which is what they're called, zirconia implants also contain metals. They contain transition metals. So, you know, a patient thinking, wanting to restore a tooth, wanting to replace a, a tooth that they happen to have lost, Will go to a biological dentist seeking uh, an alternative, healthier treatment. They're given a treatment plan of doing a zirconia, a zirconia implant instead, and they're they're told that they don't contain metals, and yet they do. So not only that, but a patient at a biological practice is not looking at a treatment plan of three to five thousand dollars per tooth. They're looking at a treatment plan of closer to $10,000 per tooth. Wow. So So we're
0: in a similar situation, it sounds like, to um, big pharma or, you know, let's look at, say, statins, as opposed to getting to the root cause of people's health issues. We're just prescribing these treatments. In this case, it's not a drug, it's a treatment. But when we have an epidemic of diabetes and prediabetes, an epidemic of low vitamin D, and an epidemic of osteoporosis, instead of like a to me a true biological treatment or holistic treatment would say, okay, why is that
1: happening? Right. Why did you lose the two? And let's address the reasons. You know, preventing that from happening again. Yeah. Um. It's it's unfortunate, but. As with most things that we see, it's it's very um, revenue driven treatment plan. Right. Very very revenue driven. Okay,
0: so a couple of questions, and then I'm going um, to turn it over to the Q and A. So first of all, in terms of the the titanium post or the metal post being a transmitter. Have you seen or heard of people experiencing health issues after getting a tooth implant that they may or may not connect back to that? Oh,
1: yes. Yes. All the time. All the time. As well as patients, uh, young kids experiencing autoimmune conditions following wisdom tooth extraction. There's another, you know, entire side of dentistry. So what's going on there? There, for some reason, dentistry has decided that all wisdom teeth must come out, all, regardless of whether or not the child has a fully developed jaw with enough room for the wisdom teeth to erupt. The standard treatment right now in dentistry is to send 14 to 16-year-olds to the oral surgeon to have the tooth buds of their wisdom teeth extracted. Just Standard treatment.
0: Okay. So we could we can go down that rabbit hole. I'll just <laughs> want to finish up with the implants. All right. So what kind of symptoms are you seeing people um either pick up or have get worse after they would they'd have an implant like fatigue or autoimmune? Like what's what tends yeah. to happen? So
1: so typically um yes, it it it's it's more often autoimmune conditions, just things that they, you know. What happens with maxillary, the upper implants is the maxillary sinus, the root tips of teeth sit right up against the maxillary sinus. So when you have a dentist that drills up into the maxilla to place a metal post, oftentimes they can perforate the maxillary sinus, which is a big problem. Um most patients experience lots of sort of this like transient kind of pain that they you know the the tooth just never really feels right oftentimes headaches sinus issues um general malaise fatigue things like that things that go unexplainable right. you know and and everyone just sort of points the finger at at, at something else until right. essentially until the implant actually fails because the body rejects it the body doesn't want it there especially in your head so they you know when they fail oftentimes it's the patient that is held accountable for the failure it's well you know, you didn't take care of it well enough. and And you know, you didn't clean it well enough and and things like that. and And that's typically not the case. I mean, right. the number number one reason uh, anyone can go into the into the literature. The number one reason for for implant failure is is bacterial infection. Well, the mouth is the most <laughs> bacteria laden part of the entire body. So,
0: Wow! So we're expecting to be able to drill a hole in there and put in a foreign body, and then just have it
1: all be fine, right? Okay. Until until it's not, and then it's your fault when it isn't, right?
0: Yeah, it always comes back to that. Yeah, you're not doing it hard well enough, hard enough, properly enough. And in the meantime, we've. I just want to like go a little bit deeper on the idea of this titanium implant as a like a transistor. So it's once you have a metal in there, as we know, it's picking up frequencies. So could you just say sort of like a high level explanation of why that's a bad thing? And people are like, what are you talking about? What what frequencies is it picking up?
1: It, well, it's picking up, you know, radio frequencies, Wi-Fi frequencies that we're all right. exposed to everywhere. And imagine. So, you know, imagine a dental implant right here and you have your cell phone up to your ear.
0: Yeah. That's or the little um, headphone thing, the earbuds, the, earbuds yeah.
1: the, the the air AirPods. Uh, it, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. Imagine- so our phones,
0: the AirPods, cell phone towers, five G towers, all of these things are emitting frequencies that are traveling right. through this little metal right transistor that we've just implanted into our skull, right, right. next to our brain.
1: Yeah, and there's very little uh, interference, you know, from the implant to the brain like transmitting all of those frequencies there's 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 very little protection uh in those areas within the skull right so you've
0: just kind of implanted a a device that's essentially like pulsing damaging rays frequencies into your into your brain Mm right there. Okay. Uh, So for someone who has one of these or is considering one of these, do you have a suggestion of an alternative, especially as you said, if someone has lost a tooth in the front of their mouth, it is, you know, it's not ideal to walk around with a missing front tooth. So are there, are there strategies that you would suggest in in, instead of doing an implant?
1: So there are, other there are alternatives uh dentists don't necessarily like to present them because the they're less lucrative Mm. for them as opposed to doing an implant but the alternative would be you 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 could do a bridge which doctors try to talk you out of that because they say well then you're affecting the the teeth on either side of the lost tooth Mm -hmm. so the 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 teeth on either side would need to be sort of taken down a bit with crowns placed over those and then the, the pontic is the fake tooth that will sit in the middle um to you know provide the aesthetic and to provide the function uh of the the tooth that's been missing so i think if it were me and i lost a tooth my way of restoring would be to do a bridge. I would do an all porcelain bridge because also with bridges, especially in the, in the back teeth, they're, they're metal with porcelain over them. So the recommendation would be ask your dentist if they would consider doing an all porcelain bridge. There's also, there's also some people, if, if they're not fundamentally a opposed to it you can have a, a small little acrylic partial made a little you know you would have to take it in and out which yeah. some people aren't comfortable like dentures with. that's right. what I grew well, up
0: seeing those commercials for
1: with right. the denture
0: toothpaste
1: <laughs> right but a partial is is one single tooth so it, mm-hmm. it's a, it you know it's very it's very small so, it's not like, like a retainer a, exactly but with a
0: little tooth on it yes okay
1: yes Yes, just like a retainer with one little tooth on it. Most patients find them very easy to wear. It's just there can sort of mentally be a barrier to taking a a tooth in and out at night. Yes.
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. So, okay, one last question then. What about orthodontics? If you're having um, metal placed inside your your mouth, it's probably.
1: Huge issue. Yeah. Huge issue. So, would,
0: even though it's not implanted in the way an implant into your bone, it's still, you're still putting conductive material in your mouth.
1: Yes. Right. So, you know, look at all of the kids walking around with a mouthful of braces mm-hmm. and their AirPods in their ears. Right. That's a disaster. And then we
0: have an epidemic of anxiety and depression. Right. That's and their screens at in front of their eyes at night, mm-hmm. AirPods. Phones.
1: Phones held up to their ears yeah. all the time. So it's, it's, it's a real concern. The way around that is if your child does need some uh, interceptive corrective orthodontia, do Invisalign, do aligners, do just the clear plastic aligners. Right um, they've made a lot of headway in doing that. They used to not be able to do very much correctively, just sort of minor orthodontic corrections with those. Nowadays, they can, they can do that a bit better. So, uh, both, both my kids needed very, very minor corrections. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we opted to do Invisalign for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, sorry if if your dentist, if your orthodontist tells you that there is no way that they could achieve the corrections that are that are needed with using Invisalign, then at least ask for ceramic brackets. That's a okay. bit better. There will still be metal metal wires, but the bracket itself is is a ceramic or a composite based bracket which is a bit better. Okay. Yeah.
0: And my my um, eight-year-old just started with a Myo brace, which mm-hmm. was at a, a holistic orthodontist. So she, it's like a plastic thing that she sleeps with and wears for an hour every day to help her jaw expand so she won't need braces later. Right. So that was a good benefit of having a holistic dentist. We got in there.
1: They right, got and on yeah. top of that early, <laughs> yes, so yeah. there, there are certainly benefits, um in particular, things like that. Early right. treatment, early interceptive treatment um, is really beneficial. I think biological holistic dentistry is doing a better job also at addressing airway. So, There are there are benefits. There are definitely benefits to doing it. Also, I would say for any parent. Don't ever bring your child into a conventional dental practice, just the just walking in there, they're they're drilling amalgam that is just being vaporized into into the practice. I mean, if the EPA walked in, they would they would shut. Wow. so So you're breathing
0: it just being in the
1: yes it's just it's it's not a healthy environment Uh, that's where i believe um biological dentistry has a benefit because that isn't taking place Um, also even just a conventional pediatric practice they're typically not drilling out amalgam fillings or placing amalgam fillings so those those two areas, I, I think, are safer as far as, you know, an, a, an office environment that you're bringing a child into. I have patients that see me in the conventional practice that I that I work in, but the way that we schedule them is that they bring their children in during off hours that I know that the dentist is not practicing and that nothing is being drilled during that time that they're in the office.
0: Right, so the child's not inhaling that.
1: Right. Oh my goodness, there's so many
0: things to think about. Oh, and yes, to your comment, and this is a whole other topic we won't go deep on, but the the holistic orthodontist did start by uh, checking on my daughter's breathing and and encouraging nose breathing was actually a huge part of helping her jaw to form properly and part of what the the treatment is about. So, yeah. Right. It's, so interesting, all these different things. I mean, everything ties together,
1: but also, i I think that um, you know, as mo- mothers now raising children, mothers, uh, women thinking about becoming pregnant, you know, as we say in the quantum world, you know, a healthy family is it, it comes from you. And so being mindful of your of your nutrition during pregnancy, but then also being mindful of those babies when they're born will will honestly set them up for proper jaw development as as they get older and completely eliminate the need for fillings or the need for orthodontic orthodontic treatment so ultimately that's you know that's the goal through you know the the work of of weston a price which i will tell you not a single dentist i've ever known even knows the name which is
0: Nihilistic dentist is all over Weston A price. Okay. He's... <laughs> Good. He's Good. got terrible lights though. But yeah. yes. Yeah. And the, the introduction of grains and sugar contributing to deteriorating right. jaw development, right?
1: I mean, you know, nursing nursing the babies if you can has a tremendous mm-hmm. benefit to their to their jaw development. Also getting babies started early on chewing food, we've we've made this movement of not giving children solid foods until they're a year or two years old. That's a massive, massive mistake in in jaw Mm. and facial development. These children should be eating hard foods that they can actually masticate and, and gnaw on at six months at a very, very young age.
0: Wow. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. yeah, or like pureeing everything, and right, big mistake. Yeah, I always wondered about that because they they do fine with it. Like they do, they just you just give them something. Yeah, they just kind of like a puppy. They just sort of right. chomp chomp around.
1: My kids interesting from our babies used to used to gnaw on um, rib bones. <laughs> That's great, <laughs> Paleo babies. Uh,
0: okay, I'm going to go to questions. Uh, Kelly from the UK has a question for Kelly Vento go ahead Kelly
2: hi thank you so much it's been so interesting um so I have two questions if that's okay um the first one is do you have any suggestions for a Sensodyne um a fluoride toothpaste um for an alternative I've lost loads and loads of enamel and I started using it just because I was so sensitive Um, And I've tried so hard to wean off it, but I end up in so much pain. So my alternative, and you can tell me if you think this is absolute nonsense, is I found out that the receptor that fluoride docks onto is the same one that iodine docks onto. So when I've used my fluoride toothpaste, I've made myself a mouthwash, which contains saline and iodine, and I give myself a proper rinse out with that. And that's the only thing that I can do where my teeth aren't, where I'm just not in pain. And I kind of feel like I'm mitigating the fluoride. But if you've got a better idea or an alternative for me, I would love to hear it.
1: So I would just caution using iodine because I just, I I find that to be very, very tricky. Um, I think just simply eating iodine rich foods, eating seafood things like that. Um, Shrimp eating, you know, uh, uh, when you're eating shrimp, eat a a couple of of the tails of the shrimp, the whole tails. Um, I personally wouldn't, everything that the oral mucosa is highly absorptive. So anything that you put into your mouth is that that's why they use uh, lots of medication sublingually, because it's it's really, very, very readily absorbed into the into the body. So, I think doing that with iodine could be a little a little risky. And so my recommendation would be just increase your seafood intake and use a toothpaste. Don't use anything containing fluoride. And I would suggest anyone curious about this, Dr. Jack Cruz, On YouTube, if you just type in Jack Cruz fluoride, it will pull up an absolutely phenomenal master's level discussion of fluoride and what exactly it is is doing to you. So I highly, highly recommend that. Um, And as far as using a toothpaste, I would suggest use something that contains hydroxyapatite. Hydroxyapatite is is the crystal Structure. That's what tooth enamel is actually made up of. So, using something a toothpaste with hydroxyapatite would be my recommendation to actually to remineralize any areas where that have become demineralized. That's that's what I use in my house is a a hydroxyapatite containing toothpaste. There are multiple on the on the market now, thankfully. Boca is one risewell is another. I'm a little cautious of both of those simply because they are nanoparticle and they also contain xylitol. Xylitol has become a bit of a of a darling in dentistry as as being an, an anti cavity um but it also can be very disruptive to the oral as well as the gut microbiome. So I think just, you know err on the side of caution with things like that. Uh there is a company called I believe it's called uh the the van man. He makes a tooth powder that has uh ground eggshell which contain which is hydroxyapatite. Um it also has you know uh, charcoal um things like that so I, I think that one is a is a little interesting to use. might be Might be a good idea. But for you specifically, as far as sensitivity, any anything containing hydroxyapatite, just try to find the the cleanest one that you can.
2: Brilliant. Thank you. May I ask one more quick question? Um, I found out about a new company this week. I actually saw a picture of Jack Cruz holding this red light toothbrush from a company called Bristle Science. Right. Do you have any experience with them?
1: I don't. I actually reached out to them after I saw that. Uh, I reached out to them and um, I'm curious about it. I know that some people have said that Jack has endorsed it. I don't believe that he has. I have not heard that. Same here.
2: Uh, (laughs) I was just curious. I saw him holding the picture, but there was no comment.
1: Right. He was holding it um, to test it. So I think it's interesting. I fully support red light in the, in the oral cavity, it's very, very beneficial. The issue is these, a lot of companies are charging a fortune for these things and they possibly don't have the intensity of light that would actually be needed to be beneficial. So honestly, just getting natural sunlight you know, ultimately, that's ev- everything that we talk about here. Regardless of whether it's medical, dental, vision, anything like that, the recommendation is always going to be get natural sunlight. I, honestly, I th- I think just getting natural sunlight, being outside, is what your teeth are going to need. If if there is a bigger issue, something that needs to be addressed, um, using red light in the mouth, I think, is a really good idea. Uh, I have a few things that that I use here. I, I have a, a little torch. It looks like a um, a little metal uh, flashlight. And that's what I use. And I found that to be sort of strong enough to do what I need it to do. Uh, I've had patients use it pre and post-op, and it seems to to work well. Um, there are a few other things that I'm looking into that are a bit more powerful that I think um so yeah red light definitely in the mouth the those uh mouthpieces that a lot of companies are selling that have the red and the blue um i asked multiple companies that make them to send them to me so that i could check them out and uh none of them were interested in doing that <laughs> so <laughs> um But I would definitely caution against anyone putting, you know, a very intense blue light into their mouth. I I would I would not do that. A lot of people are doing it to to bleach their teeth. I think that's a a tragic idea. Yeah, it sounds like a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. I would Mm -hmm. I would never do it. So thank you so much.
2: I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. Um and I would just say
0: that Bristle but BRISTL is was started um, one of the dentists who is involved in that did take applied quantum biology certification and he is in the UK. So if you want to reach out to him, I can hook you up, Kelly. I'm sure he'd be happy to, to chat with you and answer your questions. Yeah. Um, but I can say yeah, the founders of that company are quite well versed in this science. So I'm sure they paid close attention to the quality of the brush.
1: Yeah. I, I think as far as what I see of, of the companies out there right now with any sort of oral red light product, um, I feel as though they're the ones that are probably going to do the best job in getting something out there.
0: All right. So we're saying generally speaking, red light, the, cause there's a the red light toothbrush and then I also saw, I think it's BioLite has like like a thing that you put in your mouth with red light, mm-hmm. or sort of like a red light paraben for your mouth. So we're saying yes to those, but the, the best to do would just be like, open your mouth outside.
1: <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Just is there yeah, any, fun. um?
0: Av- is there any way to read? enamel teeth once that enamel has been lost that you yes, are aware
1: absolutely. of. Absolutely. Yeah. Teeth teeth constantly undergo this sort of uh cycle of, you know, there there can be times of demineralize demineralization and remineralization. And that has to do with the etiology of of your saliva. So um I've been reading a lot of uh, Dr. Cruz's work regarding dentistry and the parotid gland, and he talks about the parotid gland within within your mouth. So that you you have parotid glands in your in your cheeks, which secrete your saliva. Uh, and he talks about the parotid gland acting, behaving much like the pancreas in the body, as far as sort of regulating um, you know, the, the, the makeup of the saliva. And so it's, it's just, it's really interesting stuff. Um, the way that he talks about it, but essentially if you're experiencing tooth decay or tooth issues, you need to look at your, at your mineral status. Um, what I do um i drink i remineralize my water i get natural spring water from a, a local spring i remineralize it using the the kenton minerals and what i'll do is i'll actually take the the kenton into my mouth and hold it in my mouth and and just swish it around and keep it in there for about a minute or two just to because teeth will will either give up minerals to their environment or receive minerals if they need them so that's the interesting thing about teeth is is that they're constantly sort of undergoing this um, this flux. And so, what you want to do is just continue to to provide them with proper minerals, and uh, teeth will absolutely remineralize.
0: Great news! All right, thank you, uh, Denise. Go ahead.
1: Hi. Thank you, Kelly. This is so interesting. I was a dental hygienist for 25 years (laughs) and um, stopped practicing probably about 13 years ago when I started doing this, um, working with my husband. But um, yeah, funny how you know what i taught was taught in conventional dentistry was no the teeth can't remineralize and and just everything's so different um than right. what it is just like you know conventional medicine um <clears throat> but i'm sorry did i miss did you talk about cavitations at all i no i i only just discussed very briefly the 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 push in dentistry to extract all third molars yep well so what do you think about the cavitation that's left from the removal. I mean, do you think everyone needs to have those dealt with, dug back in and removed? That's a tough question. I think if you are experiencing health issues that no one has been able to get to the bottom of, potentially I it might it might be a bit of a stretch to to do that that being said, uh, I think if you have a, a strong redox potential, if you're living this way, if you're living quantumly, abiding by the quantum principles, I don't, I don't see it becoming a major issue. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that it can't. I mean, anything anything is certainly possible. Um, but did you guys did you do those in your biological practice? So. Another thing I think in biological dentistry that they do a good job of is when they do an extraction, they are very mindful of cleaning out the extraction site and utilizing ozone, gas, and water in the in the surgical site to try to get it as as pathogen free as they can. Um, that it's impossible. It's impossible to do, but they I feel like they at least do a better job mm-hmm. of that, uh, as well as using um PRF during those surgeries in a biological practice. Even conventional dentistry is moving toward doing that as well. So, you know, you go in for an extraction and they they draw your blood and they spin it. And then in the surgical site, they actually take almost like this this plug of uh, yeah. you know, fibrin and and place it back to heal the surgical like, surgical area, which is um a really smart way mm-hmm. to do that so awesome well thank you yeah thanks
0: denise mm-hmm. and uh denise you did mention quickly you left dental hygienist uh role to do what you're doing now mm-hmm. which is working in i'll just going to say working in alternative health and oh. denise is in our practitioner directory <laughs> so for anyone listening that's what she was referring yeah. to Yep.
1: All right. Thanks, Denise. Thanks, uh, Carrie. Hi, Kelly. Um,
0: Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Nice to meet you off of Instagram. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious if you have any recommendations for dry mouth. I'm just listening, and your comments about xylitol. My hygienist had recommended the xylamelts, mm-hmm. which now, of course, I won't be using anymore. But if you just in your
1: experience, what you've seen to resolve that. Unfortunately, I haven't seen really anything. Um, what I would suggest would there's there really isn't anything on the market, a product that I could point you toward that is effective. I don't find any of them to be effective. What I would suggest would be to address the parotid gland, possibly on each cheek, putting uh, treating both cheeks with red light. I think that
0: mm, interesting. Okay, Thank you so to, much to stimulate the, those glands to make more moisture. Right.
1: Yep. Thank you.
0: Great idea. So, would would some of those red light devices we talked about earlier help with that, or using a red light using those a red light would, toothbrush? Are you talking about outside of your cheeks?
1: Outside of your okay. of your cheeks, um, using some of the companies. Um, make the it's it's more of like the size of a of a brick. Uh tends to be a bit stronger than the torches. The the torches I love I don't I don't even leave the house without that that little torch in my bag. Um the torch is about a three three watt uh level of light whereas the 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 brick size are about 70 watts of light. So, you know, maybe if you, something like that. Um, zero and you're solid. talking about just like
0: a standard red light therapy device, like,
1: yeah, like I the mean, lights honestly, that
0: we buy, like from EMR Tech or right, Violet right. or one of those places. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, but I with the Parotid, I think something that you can actually put on the skin. So, so uh, I would go for the battery powered, like brick size um, and put one on each hold one on each side and see, you know something that you can actually put on the body. so you get full absorption of the light directed into the parotid, I think would be a smart way to address that. i've I've had patients. I've worked with patients um, with uh, Sogren syndrome, which mm-hmm. is an autoimmune condition which causes uh, just absolutely horrific, dry mouth, dry tissues everywhere, but, but, um, but dry mouth being a, a big problem and I've treated them with red light and they, they've done well. I mean, I had a patient contact me literally two days later and say, for the first time in 20 years, I actually have saliva in my mouth. So wow. it, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely doable. Um, so do you mean simultaneously or can you buy one light and, and go back and forth? Or you could buy one light and, and yeah and go back and forth. But I but I think I think something that you can put directly on the parotid Understood. is what's going to work best.
0: So helpful. Thank you. Yeah. That's a great suggestion. Thanks, Kelly. And Carrie, uh track your results and let us know. This would be a new, a new case study. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. We have a question in the chat from Olivia about the use of nitrous, nitrous oxide during treatments and your thoughts on that.
1: Well, why, it would depend on why you would need it. Um, I mean, I've had patients want nitrous to have their teeth cleaned, which I thought was <laughs> Like if you can't (laughs) handle getting your teeth clean, you have much bigger problems. I, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think using any of that is really a good idea. I mean, we, we understand from Jack Cruz's work that any form of, uh, of anesthesia shuts down that, um, you know, electrical potential. So yeah, and, and that's exactly what local anesthesia does as well. Like it it, it shuts down like right. you know the ion transfer. So um I mean if it if it's absolutely necessary then it is but if there is opportunity to use something else just basic local local anesthesia would certainly be a healthier way instead of Doing something like that. Katie's asking, "What about hydrogen peroxide as a mouth rinse?" It's a bit harsh. Um, I don't really. I don't think any mouth rinses are are good to use. Um, I think anything that could potentially lower your nitric oxide um, production, which you know, there's a, a, you know, a percentage of your nitric oxide that is produced in the mouth, which is, you know, we're seeing that. And I'm sure Dr. Twyman um, sees this as well and, and recommends to his patients not to use any form of mouth rinses. Uh, the only thing that I, that I use to, to rinse my mouth with that I put into my mouth would be, are the quinton mineral, minerals. Excellent.
0: So, Kelly, before we wrap up, are there any questions that you get asked a lot um, by patients uh, or within the community that we haven't touched on that you want to just give give your thoughts on quickly?
1: So lots of questions about calculus, calculus buildup and. Um, that's the the hard substance that builds up typically behind the lower front teeth because that's where you have a, your major salivary ducts sits right on the floor of the mouth behind those lower front teeth. So I would say to anyone if you you're building up a lot of calculus, that indicates to me, and and I see this with my patients, and it always causes me to stop and have a conversation with them. That indicates to me a very poor environment. That's a really poor environment because you are, you're displacing calcium. Also, when I see patients that typically historically did not build up a lot of calculus and all of a sudden they're in my chair and they have, you know, a a ledge of calculus built up. um, Usually I, I will say to them, are you taking vitamin D? And inevitably the answer is yes. So vitamin, taking vitamin D uh, really displaces calcium. I see it all the time. Um, so if you are one who historically has always gone to the dentist and they've said, "Oh, you're you know you're a heavy calculus builder," you need to look into what's happening within your environment, because if it's displacing calcium and I'm seeing it in the mouth, then you could certainly hypothesize that calcium elsewhere is being displaced into your arterial walls.
0: Interesting. And
1: And often, even if if I've seen a patient for a number of years who who is a a heavy calculus builder, I always recommend that they go get a, a cardiac calcium score. Of course,
0: that makes perfect sense. And then again, just from a quantum biologic perspective, talk about what you mean by poor environment.
1: Um, a, a very you know heavy EMF uh, toxic environment. You know the things that that we address with um, with the building biologists. You know creating a a, a safe space so that your Every cell in your body isn't in this sort of cell danger response because it's it's being bombarded with frequencies that are not natural to human biology whatsoever. So, so limiting
0: limiting Wi-Fi, keeping all technology out of the bedroom, so at least at night, your cells are getting a chance. no artificial light after sunset. all these things are contributing. I mean, it's such a, it's such an amazing, right? Like these things are contributing to that buildup of that on the inside of our teeth doing stuff like that, like that. And I I love this because that is just such a, a perfect illustration of quantum mechanisms, right? It's like, what? (laughs) Like having my cell phone on my nightstand is causing my teeth to gunk up. Yeah. And 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 possibly your arteries.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Probably your arteries. Probably. Um, And how simple is that? I mean, I, I tell, I would, I would tell every practitioner here within the quantum collective, ask your patients that, that is, that is a definite tell Mm -hmm. right there. And the simplest, easiest thing, because they, they know if they are a heavy calculus builder, they'll, you know, they instantly are like, well, yeah, I do. Or, or no, I don't. Um, I saw when you go
0: for your teeth cleanings, your hygienist tells you these things. They're like, oh, you have a big buildup under here.
1: Right. And 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 even, you know, as the person you you can feel it. You know, I, I see most of my patients every every three months. But I saw this with with my husband prior to us mitigating our environment and and addressing our environment he tended to build up more calculus not a heavy builder but he tended to build up more and as soon as we corrected for the environment that is that's a non-issue with him any anymore so So interesting i think it's one of the simplest easiest things to to give you that that bit of information that bit of valuable information um that no one really sort of has drawn that correlation but i see it and i in patients that i know that work in certain um jobs i i i had a patient who worked for a company where they dealt with these massive industrial microwaves massive and i thought wow That's probably not a good idea. Um, I will tell you the medications, the diseases that he was struggling with as as a young guy in his fifties were mind blowing. The amount of calculus that I saw built up on him every three months was uh, also mind blowing. He he ended up passing away recently in his very early 60s passed away but before he passed away it got very ugly because he he ended up with dementia but more psychotic type dementia where his his own wife didn't feel safe being around him so you know what i've learned in this space and then what i see out in the world with seeing patients and practicing clinically and and drawing the correlation, it's there, it's real. The environment is really, really important.
0: Thank you so much, Kelly. And yeah, you're having that, that perspective of the mouth is really so unique. Um, thank you so much. Like you probably, <laughs> One of the few people in the world who has combined all of this knowledge with that unique point of view of being able to, to see the effects of it in mm-hmm. our the exteriorization of our gut, which is really interesting way to think about the mouth. Love that. Right. I put that at the beginning. Uh, thank you so much. We will have to do that again. And that's an excellent point. Practitioners, take that, put that on your intake form.
1: Yeah. It's a great one. Right. Wow. Having... I would suggest asking, "Have you ever been diagnosed with periodontal disease?" Because that's a big tell of their of their systemic health. Uh, and also ask them how much calculus they build up and how often they see their dentist. And and I I think it's I think it's useful, easy information um, for each of us to to use. Amazing.
0: Thank you, Kelly, and everyone in the chat is saying thank you so much. So interesting, yes. And we'll we'll circle back on this and and do a follow up because this is just important and groundbreaking. And uh,
1: appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me.
0: This has been the Quantum Biology Collective podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org if you are a practitioner definitely take a look at the applied quantum biology certification a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients we also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast until next time the qbc